let's be real. Lawsuits are no fun, but with Paulson and Nace, at least they are a little easier. With two DC-born partners, Paulson and Nace will fight for you the way only a Washingtonian could. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, wrongful death, and other complex injury cases involving negligence. So if you have been hurt or lost a loved one because of someone else's mistake or negligence, call Paulson and Nace for a no-obligation consultation. Visit www.paulsonandnace.com or call 202-463-1999. Today on CityCast DC, we are talking about the latest twist in a goofy Adams Morgan development saga and why it ought to matter to you, even if you never hang out at the late unlamented SunTrust Plaza. I'm here with our team's Priyanka Tilvey and Kayla Cote-Stemmerman to talk about that, plus some thoughts on school renamings. And it's Friday the 13th of Halloween month. We have some suggestions for getting in a haunted mood. Today is Friday, October 13th. I'm Michael Schaefer, and here's what DC is talking about. All right. So, Priyanka, I used to work uh, years ago in Adams Morgan. Sometimes we would go get lunch at So's Your Mom and sit in this kind of bleak 70s style plaza in front of a bank with no tree cover, particularly. I was sort of surprised to see it become the focus of a big development fight in the last few years. And it's one that, that CityCast has covered some. And there's news from it. What is going on? Yeah, I agree. I used to live right down the street from SunTrust Plaza, Truist Plaza, whatever you want to call it. And it's ugly. <laughs> and so the fact that there's this big fight over saving it is pretty bizarre to me. Um, the TLDR for people who haven't been following along is that this plaza used to be a public space in the 1970s. It's been a long time since it was used for anything particularly great. It's honestly just like a big triangular concrete space. There's no shade there. There's no greenery and nothing really to do. It was a public space in the sense that the public could use it, but technically it remained private property. Yes. Yeah, that is true. And the last few years, a small group of activists in Adams Morgan have been fighting Truist Bank because Truist has been considering selling it to a developer to build luxury apartments. It's become this like long, litigious legal battle. And now Truist has decided to donate the land to Jubilee Housing, and they're going to build affordable housing on the space instead. And I am extremely curious to see how the activists are going to respond because they had a bit of moral high ground when they were saying they wanted a public space over luxury apartments and like, you know, push back against gentrification and all that. Now that it's going to be public space versus affordable housing, I, I'm interested to see what they're going to say. Yeah, I tend to think in D.C. when there's people clamoring to save something that nobody particularly liked before, and particularly when the claim is around open space, because D.C. is a city with like great amounts of parkland, like, you know, bustle and density is the thing we usually are trying to create, mm -hmm. that when those kinds of claims are being aired, there's usually some other issue at play. And at this one, it was like, I think, good old fashioned NIMBYism. And the developer, it's the firm behind the wharf, among other things. This was like a pretty elegant FU. Like, we are sick and tired of this fight. And now, see what happens. Do you, do you really want to save an open space or do you suppose building new stuff? 
which is like a really loaded thing in DC where housing is so expensive. I mean, calling an open space is generous even. It's like (laughs) truly like a small square of concrete that people sometimes stand on to get the bus. If it was going to be a public functional space, it would need massive changes and massive renovation to make it an intriguing place to to spend any time. So as it is, I don't see it as being useful for anything. You know, if you're going (laughs) to do something like you either have make it an actual open space, if that's what you're going to set your heart on, which I think is dumb, or go this route and get more housing, get affordable housing. I actually think it's kind of a smart move on their part if they're trying to get out of this fight. But it's also like, this is a thing that is actually like pretty relevant for all of DC, because to me, at least, it, it shows how how many ways there are to bring projects you don't like to a halt or to or slow them down. And, you know, some people might think that's good. Some people might think that's bad, but it is just sort of a fact of Washington. It makes it harder to build new stuff, to open restaurants, to build new developments. I suspect it causes things to be more expensive as a result of that. So even if you never go to that neighborhood, it's the kind of thing that happened in your neighborhood too. That's a really good point. I also think that when you're talking about these kinds of changes or when people are pushing for these kinds of changes, you have to take into account what else is in the neighborhood. Like, I know some people have compared this Admiral Plaza or what the Admiral Plaza could be to Franklin Park downtown, which they recently redeveloped and reopened. And I love Franklin Park. It's big. It's green. It's a great space to hang out with friends for picnics. They do a lot of outdoor movie screenings there now. But that is like a truly transformative space in an area that is otherwise just concrete buildings. And Admo doesn't have that problem. Like you've got Calorama Park right down the street. You've got Walter Pierce Park right down another street. Yeah, You really don't need a, a park on that corner. And it kind of doesn't fit with the vibe of what 18th Street is all about. Like that is a commercial street. It's a place to go out, to eat, to drink, to party. Having a park there just doesn't feel like it's the vibe. I also tend to think, I mean, like Franklin Square, it's really nice how they've redeveloped and it used to be like a pretty grim public space. But the best possible thing that could happen to that neighborhood would be for someone to build a ton of housing and there to be like residents passing through. Because even now, if you go to Franklin Square at night, there's no one lives around there. So there's just, you know, it, it has like that feeling that a lot of people don't like of being in a fairly empty urban space in the dark. And paradoxically, the best, maybe the best thing that could happen to SunTrust Plaza is someone put up an office building because Adams Morgan by day doesn't have nearly so much going on because it's a, a neighborhood that, you know, it's got residents, it's got a lot of residents, which is great. And it's got people who come for nightlife and entertainment, but there's not, you know, that many people like I used to be ducking out from their cubicles to lunch. Yeah, that's true. I think best case scenario here would be if it is like a mixed use. I, I don't think that this is in the works right now. They've only really said that it's going to be affordable housing. It's probably going to be 40 subsidized apartments. But if they could do a mixed use space, so some sort of like office space or retail on the ground floor, apartments above it, and then actually make that triangular area in front, not necessarily a public space for hanging out, but just prettier, (laughs) like have some greenery, have some flowers. I think that would be a game changer. It's time to get dressed up, DC. So Others Might Eat is having its Young Professionals Network Spring Soiree that's to help raise funds for homelessness in DC. 
The gala is on the evening of May 17th at the National Museum of Women in the Arts. There will be live music from DJ Heat from the Washington Wizards, photo booths, food, and even a special appearance by a former actor from Pretty Little Liars. Wow. There will also be a canned food drive, so be sure to bring a few cans to support Sum's Food Pantry. Grab tickets before they're gone at sum.org slash spring soiree. That's S-O-M-E dot O-R-G slash spring soiree. See you there. When was the last time you went to the theater? Well, we have a new show for you to check out. The Gala Theater in Columbia Heights is showing the political musical comedy Museum in the Closet, Avida's Return, which follows Argentine icon Eva Perón to the afterlife as her preserved corpse ignites political scandals, clandestine affairs, and mysterious murders. The show is full of samba, reggae, and tango that will have you tapping your feet nonstop. The show is in Spanish with English surtitles and will run from May 9th through June 9th. Get your tickets now at galatheater.org or call 202-234-7174. All right, so going out to the suburbs for a minute. Do either of you guys, fairly smart, well-informed people, know who Wilbert Tucker Woodson was? W.T. Woodson? Uh, no. Absolutely <sighs> not. And my, my cousin's kids go to a school by that name, and yet I have no idea who that is. <laughs> so my first theory of educational naming is that when you don't recognize the name, it's usually a minor local official who was the namesake is kind of like a gold watch when they retired. And sure enough, W.T. Woodson was the second longest serving superintendent in the history of the Fairfax County Public Schools. He worked in the county from 1929 to 1961. His name got put on a high school during the age of sub suburban growth and new schools being put up. And it, it has always been thus until now, maybe because there's people who want his name gone from that high school. The reason is that he opposed desegregation. Virginia was like the forefront of the battles over school desegregation. It was a place where the governor of the state shut down public schools because God forbid they be integrated. But his name stayed on the school. I tend to be like, like not trigger happy on renamings, but I think schools are a little bit of an exception because schools are like a living community for the, the, for the people who continue to go there. So there was a meeting scheduled for this week to discuss the name, but the new name proposal that really kind of grabs my fancy is to S simply rename W.T. Woodson after Carter G. Woodson, who is the uh, you know very prominent, like the father of black history, a D.C. figure. And when there was a proposal to rename Woodrow Wilson High School after August Wilson, the playwright, and the, the idea was, you know, alumni will be able to still say, like, I went to Woodson. And there's not that kind of disruption, but the objectionable name is is taken off. I think it's a really clever fix. And in this case, it's like, you know, I had a big argument with one of my friends about the Wilson renaming because they ultimately renamed it Jackson Reed after the first black teacher at the school and after the first black superintendent of D.C. public schools, i.e. Uh, a minor local official right. in the grand scheme of things. And I'm kind of like, oh, man, I feel like schools should be named for like, I don't know, like, like astronauts or civil rights leaders or, you know, like there's a kind of an aspirational thing. 
And my friend's theory is like, no, 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 no. The, the thing about Jackson Reed that's so cool is like, that's the only school in the world that could be named Jackson Reed. Like, that's the one place where it resonates. And the uniqueness is magical. But it's a good point. I don't agree with it. It's a good point. What do you guys think? Like, like if you were naming schools uh, or renaming schools, for that matter, what would be your sort of North Star? Yeah, I feel like kids don't really care about local officials as much as maybe <laughs> we do. <laughs> but I do like the idea of switching the name so that it's the same last name, right? Like, it's like they renamed Swan Street to Swan Street. And there was like no logistical hassle behind it, right? Like you said, alumni can keep the name, like their swag stays the same, like their signage stays the same. It must be just a much easier logistical lift to switch it to something so similar. Yeah, I wanted to bring up the Swan Street thing too, because for anyone who doesn't remember, this happened earlier this year. Swan Street is a road in Northwest DC, and it was named for Thomas Swan, who was a former governor of Maryland, but also was a slaveholder. And then they changed it to honor William Dorsey Swan instead, who was born a slave and then became a queer rights pioneer when he moved to, to Washington. So really, really switching up the, the meaning behind the Swan Street. But Kayla, like you said, like no hassle involved. So I, I agree that that's a nice thing about Woodson, like keeping the name. But one of the former alums of Woodson, who was at a public hearing about this a while ago, argued that they should change the name to like not represent a person at all, like go with something more ideological or a value because she was like 50 years from now, the school could run into this exact same problem again when something unsavory comes out about the new Woodson, you know, which I think is actually a point that you made, Mike, when we had this conversation about the potential of changing Marion Barry Ave. Well, right. My bigger sort of theory of this is like you have to think of the, the intent and in naming and like, you know, I make an exception again for schools because they are living mm community. But like, you know, something that's named after, I don't know, like Thomas Jefferson, who, you know, owned slaves, it's appalling. It's not named after him in order to honor his slave owningness. It's named after him because he was the third president, because he was the author of the Declaration of Independence, blah, blah, blah. Which is to say he's got this horrific blight on his record, but it wasn't like when things are named after like Robert E. Lee, the only reason that anyone knows who Robert E. Lee now is, is that he like betrayed his country in the name of a rebellion to protect slavery. No mm -hmm. one's like, oh, he did a great job in the Mexican-American War. Like we should, we should name some stuff after him. And, you know, so I, I sort of feel like that intent ought to be taken into account. So if you name something for Barry, you're not like naming it for him to, you know, honor the like poorly executed executive uh, of his late <laughs> terms in office. It's, you know, I mean, that's like a totally legit renaming. And I think if you get too picky about like, you know, well, but he did these crappy things or he got arrested or he, you know, took a bad like anti-gay stance late in his career, that way is the path to ruin with all human beings. Yeah, that's a fair point. We'd never be able to name anything after a human again. Right. And like even, I mean, I mean, if we're going to go down this road of like what the future may hold, like even naming things, for, like there are certain behaviors that rise and fall in our estimation over time. So if, you know, you name something like, you know, Chivalry High School, that seems great <laughs> like 100 years ago. Um, but anyway, I just I think that breaking out Carter Woodson's name would be a cool thing for that school. I agree. Yeah, I think that's cool. It also is in keeping with what Fairfax has been doing generally, which is changing a lot of names lately, um, mostly street names. Most of them were honoring 
things related to the Confederacy and other they're switching them over to other stuff. And it's cool that Fairfax is kind of on this journey. Yeah. Well, if you have an opinion on the Woodson High School renaming, I think they're making a final decision at the November 9th meeting, but they're going to be soliciting public opinion up until then. So I guess call in. Hey, DC. One of the reasons hosting this show is so important to me is this statistic from the U.S. Surgeon General. Ready for it? The percentage of Americans who report feeling very attached to their community is only 16%. Now, there's a lot of ways to look at that number, which, by the way, is pre-pandemic data. But here's how I'm thinking about it. CityCast DC is something that we're building to make it easier for you to feel attached to this community. I don't want anyone to feel lonely or bored here in DC. I want you to know how you can help make this city more fun and more livable, and where all the good local stuff is at. And if you think we're doing a good job, I'm asking if you'll become a member of CityCast DC today at membership.citycast.fm. You'll get exclusive perks like ad-free listening, event invites, and members-only guides. But most of all, you'll be part of a project dedicated to making the number of DC residents who feel attached to this community a heck of a lot higher than 16%. See you over at membership.citycast.fm and thank you. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. All right, so as we said at the top of the show, it is Friday the 13th in October. Halloween is looming. It's the spookiest of Friday the 13ths. I don't know about you guys, but uh, I have young kids, and they have decked out our house in spooky gear. Oh my gosh, I love that. So Kayla, you are our things to do person. What should we do if we want to embrace the spookiness? Yeah, so DC is really getting into the spirit, as you may be able to tell. If you if you subscribe to the newsletter, you'll see that every event these days is basically some sort of Halloween or costumed event. So I pulled together like a few things that aren't necessarily Halloween related, but they are like haunted and death and evil related. <laughs> so if that's your thing, these are for you. So a few things that are happening this weekend, you have Death at the City Tavern. It's actually in Alexandria. Sorry, it's not in DC, but very accessible from DC. And essentially they'll go over with you what the guidelines were for the morning period. Like in when Alexandrians were in mourning, like way back in the day. And you can like sip your little spirit and make your little morning pendant and like dress in black if you want and just be just very, very somber and with the vibe of the 13th. Just leaning into the spookiness. Yeah, really just like I feel like Alexandria is already kind of a haunted place. Like there just feels like there's a lot of ghosts and like the aura there is is already leaning that way. So I think it's a great place to go. We've got also the Film Noir Festival, which is this like dark film festival. It's opening on Friday. It goes through October 26th. It includes like all the classics, like all those really like sort of old school, like bloodied, like scary, but like unrealistic way. Wait, so are these like, I mean, are we talking about like 
film noir from like the 40s and 50s? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like old, old school. Yeah, that sounds fun. But that's happening throughout the month. So you've got a little time. And the last one I have down for DC. This is not happening this weekend, but you should buy your tickets this weekend because it sells out quick. Is the Soul Strolls at the Congressional Cemetery, which is so fun. Basically, there's these actors and you walk around the cemetery and they act out these tragic tales of people who are buried in the cemetery. It happens at dusk. It's foggy, it's spooky, it's haunted. They're great performers, and it's it's honestly so fun. Yeah, that sounds like a great time. I am a big fan of cemeteries in general. Really? Interesting. <laughs> Let's unpack that. <laughs> <laughs> That's for our therapy session later. <laughs> and you guys just went again to Markov's Haunted Forest. Yeah. Yeah, so there's also a few places outside of D.C. that you should really, really go if you have a car, like Please. It's so fun. Our team just went. Priyanka, do you want to tell us tell us about it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was our second time going. Last year we went and we did an episode on it, which we'll link to in our show notes if you want to check that out. The last two minutes of it is just us screaming. Again, this year when we went, <laughs> it was like 30 minutes of us walking around screaming. It's just this, like, there's extremely high production value for this haunted forest. It's a trail that goes, like I said, about 30 minutes long. But they have different sections, like there'll be a, a creepy dollhouse, um, ghost-oriented house, house where it, I don't know what the theme is, but they chase you with chainsaws. And I, I'm just in awe of it every time I go. And I am not the type of person that likes scary things, but because this haunted forest is so well produced and so thoughtful, I thoroughly enjoyed myself. And we also this time went and checked out a separate part of Markov's, which is called The Town, which is, again, like you're walking through a creepy trail, but this one is town themed. So you're walking through the general store and the sheriff's office and they have townspeople throughout that kind of haunt you. It's really cool. Yeah. The it's production definitely scary though. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. There's like yeah. hundreds of actors and it's amazing. But how far away is it? Yeah. So that's the downside. That one is like an hour away. If you want something a little bit closer, not quite as much of a production, we got Field of Screams. That's in Olney, Maryland. That's probably about 40 minutes away. Um, it's a little bit smaller scale, but you still have that same sort of haunted forest. You walk through, there's games, there's axe throwing, there's bonfires, etc. And then we also got Laurel's House of Horror in Laurel, Maryland, also a little bit closer. This is in an abandoned movie theater, which already sounds really scary to me, honestly. Um, and it's they have a haunted house, but they also have a series of escape rooms that are horror-themed escape rooms, which quite frankly sounds horrible to me. But if that's your vibe, you should go. Let us know how it is. Most of that sounds horrific to me, but the abandoned movie theater part is the one thing that's enticing. Like, that sounds eerie in a cool way to me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. I think abandoned movie theaters are inherently horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's what they're going for. Even after they get repurposed as CVSs. Yeah. <laughs> Priyanka, Kayla, good to see you guys. Yeah. Yeah, good to be here. And that is all for today here on CityCast DC. Our lead producer is Priyanka Tilvey. Our producers this week are Julia Karen and Noah Snyderman. Our newsletter editor is Kayla Cote-Stemmerman. Our production assistant is Susanna Brown. And our hosts are Bridget Todd and me, Michael Schaefer from Politico. Music is by Alex Roldan. If you enjoyed the show, scream about it at your nearest haunted forest. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Bye. Oh, 
Right. Like, call Northside 777. He walked by night. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but okay. 